Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. A paradox is something that sounds contradictory, but it is not. Biblically speaking, generosity is a paradox. Every source of advice in our society tells me to get more of what I have enough of. Watching all the football games yesterday, oh my goodness, I have to hit the mute button there on all of those advertisements that are telling me you really need this. You need more of what you got enough of. And incidentally, if you don't think you own everything, try moving. It will reveal, especially in your garage, maybe the attic, that you probably have everything. I call what, all of this the Costco effect. It's the Costco effect. We all know about that. And so uh, I have fallen in love with the new hot sauce, the Cholula hot sauce that comes in restaurants in a little bottle. So I go to Costco to get that. But they have it in two quart bottles strapped together with tape. And I can't get just one of them. If I want that, I'm going to have to take both of them. So currently, I might have to invite you folks over or something. I have enough Cholula that I think will last me until I'm 110 years of age. Just, just a rough estimate. So the first hearing of the word generosity makes us respond by saying, if I'm generous in the way of the biblical instruction, I will have less than what I need. So it was Rockefeller in his mid-40s, if I have his life correct, he had a really a, a terrible time, bad health in the mid-40s, and uh, he was uh, in the time of his life of great accumulation before he did some great philanthropy up into his 90s. They came to him and said, well, you know, you got a lot of money, but how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And how that has permeated our culture for sure. A second hearing of the word generosity reveals a deep truth in being generous. I will receive far more than what I ever give. Now, I know right here in this room, there are a lot of people who know exactly what I'm saying, who have given themselves to ministries within this church, and they know. They just shrug and say, you know, I always get lots more than I ever give. Uh, tomorrow, I'll drive 140 miles to the prison in Florence, and we will practice meditation with some inmates. And I can guarantee you, the man that I go with, and I speak for myself, we receive far more than we could ever give. The deep appreciation of these men that we meditate with them always receive far more than we could ever give. So hear this biblical truth. What we keep to ourselves, we lose. What we give away for the good of others is what we have forever. 
And that, my friends, is a paradox, a fancy way of saying it doesn't make sense and is deeply true. It was John Ortberg, a very good preacher, uh, who was reading the book called The Paradox of Generosity, and there was a man who made a survey. Uh, his name was Christian Smith. He uh, taught at Notre Dame, uh, a sociologist, and he did a survey of 2,000 people. And in his book, he summarizes what he found this way. Generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn by spending ourselves for others. For others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. In letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. This is not just a philosophical or religious teaching, he says. It's not just a teaching from Moses or Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad. This is a sociological fact. I remember a, the story recently of a woman who was going to a drive-thru terrible time of her life. She was probably in her early 70s. Her husband died. And she was deeply distressed. And it was just, it was just a terrible, terrible time. Uh, you could look at her face and see her kind of drawn and just very, very sad, very understandable for sure. And um, she came up to pay for what she was getting at the drive-thru. And somebody leaned out the window and said, uh, the man in front of you just paid yours. She says, what? She says, that's paid for. And so she was curious enough. It was a big truck. It was a big truck and, 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 and took off. And she decided to chase this guy down. He did a little bit of honking, pulling him off to the side. And here was this man, a construction worker, who enjoys on his fairly nice, but, you know, not rich salary. He likes giving at least a half of it away at random to people that he seeks to give joy to. And so they got to talking there on the side of the road, and she joined in. And she now goes with him to all kinds of places. It might be going into a store, and here's, here's a lady that might be looking at something, a coat that she can't afford. And they each just go up there and say, you know, do you like that? Well, I'd, I think I'd like to buy that for you. Will you allow me to buy that for you? And they go about that, and it created for her a whole new life and a whole new joy. I honor both Clint and Sandy. Sandy and I are kind of trading off uh, different weeks, and I, I honor both of them. At our church on the east side of town, uh, there was a couple that came in uh, one day. And they sat down, and um, uh, before they had come to our church, uh, their pastor in a UCC church in, I think it was in Vermont, went and called. I, I correct that. It was in Maine. doesn't make any difference. But in Maine, I called and said, I have this couple that's coming, and she has a bad case of cancer, and she's going to be there at one of the clinics. Uh, would you be able to find her uh, someplace to stay? And Sandy, if you really know her, 
She just said, well, you know, we've got a big enough house. Why did they just stay with us? So they came, and they came to church, and there they were. They were there for three weeks in a row, and she was getting all of this uh, uh, medical care. Uh, and then they left and went back to Maine, deeply grateful. And then a month or so later, uh, this woman took a turn for the worse, and she died. Sandy and her husband were back with uh, relatives in New England, and uh, she was doing a wedding for a relative. And so uh, they decided, well, you know, here we are. Why don't we just head up to Maine? Let's just go up to Maine and see this man who just lost his wife. And they did. They visited and gave their blessing to him. And so anytime you see Sandy up here, and if you know her husband, Clint, I think that never are we more like God than doing the simple thing that they did, that they want no recognition for it whatsoever. My main point today is this. Our well-being is dependent not on what we get, but in what we give. It was Bill Coffin. I loved him at the three or four times that I was in his presence. And I remember him talking about the narcissism of our society. And he would declare that the smallest package in the world is a human being wrapped up in themselves. And if you really talk to the people of seeking more of what they got enough of, it really doesn't get what they were hoping that it would get. Uh, I read recently that there are five measures of well-being in our society, and I'm just going to look at two of them. The first one I want to look at is happiness. I'm just going to tell you the first and last word about happiness, and that is that happiness is never found when you're seeking it directly. Take that to the bank, please. It's just the way it is. Parents would come to me every once in a while and say of their kids, oh, all I want is for them to be happy. I said, please don't tell them that. Please don't, please don't tell your kids that. What you want is for them to be able to handle the ups and the downs of life that will inevitably come to them. The Buddha was right, and we know this from the life of Jesus, that suffering is going to be a part of this life. You will not escape moments of great challenge and suffering at times. And that's not a negative statement, it's just the way it is. Rather than love your children in a way by saying, hey, you know that we pray daily for good things to happen to you, and when they do not, when your dreams don't come true, may new dreams arise. That's what you want to give your kids. Not the terrible, terrible blessing that well, all I want is for you to be happy, and then all the time that they are not happy, they have to come and kind of fake it to you because that's what you want for them. Uh, Thomas Merton was the one uh, who taught us that God comes to us in Scripture. I find that true. Comes to us inside ourselves. I find that in meditation. And in the face of the stranger, I find that very, very true. Extremely true. There was one time I was paging through Time Magazine or something like that. Do you remember Do you remember all of those people that were fleeing? I'm not sure where they were fleeing from. And they were coming to, to Greece on the shores of Greece. And I remember uh, 
the capsizing of many of the boats as they were trying to escape. And there was the body of a two or three-year-old child face down in the sand there on the beach. And I paged that I just started crying that any place in the world that we have to allow that to happen for someone who is fleeing danger in a country. It was a very painful moment. So please remember Merton's word. God comes to us in Scripture inside ourselves in the face of the stranger, those who come to our shores. In uh, Ohio, in the church I serve, I figured it out this morning. It was about 40 years ago. They formed what was called the uh, Refugee Task Force. Now, the idea of a task force is somebody said there's some refugees coming uh, to the United States, and, and um, we need a task force to sponsor one of these families, you know, get them in an apartment, get them the essential stuff that they need, uh, lead them to any kind of social services that they might need, and help them find a job, etc. And that was 40 years ago. And um, so that was the task that they put and they, they went after. And everybody who joined that group knew that they would be doing it one time. But the refugee task force is still going to this very day. And I read their church papers. They just uh, received a family from Syria just this last week. So I'm warning you people around here, when somebody asks you to be on a task force, you ask them when it starts and when it ends. Otherwise, your life <clears throat> belongs to that task force. And of course, the people on that particular one <clears throat> are among some of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. I had nothing to do with that. All of a sudden, they would show up on a monthly basis, and here's the family. We want you to introduce this family. Oh, some of them were Buddhists, some were uh, Catholic all kinds of Protestantism and other, and they would find their way then to their own faith community, but we would introduce them in the ch church, say, bless you, and here you go, and we care about you deeply. I remember uh, going into the market one day, and there was this um, lovely woman that, that came up to me and said, Dr. Wing, do you remember me? I said, I... I recognize your face, but maybe you can fill in the gaps for me. And I remember there was a, a family that we sponsored coming from uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, in the midst of that mess. And they came there and came into the church and then went to their own, I think it was a Catholic church they went to. And then this uh, woman that we had brought with her husband uh, came to us and said, my sister's going to be coming. And so her sister came. And just, you know, like we greet each other after church, she was bringing her through the line and said, this is my sister. Her husband was shot and killed in her presence, in her home. And we're going to help her here. And it was that woman who stopped me in the store who then joined the task force to give what she had received. So my main point about um, happiness, and happiness is never found when you're seeking it directly. And neither is success. If you have the time, look up the words of Viktor Frankl, where he talks about success. Uh, success must ensue. It cannot be searched or found. 
It is something that comes to you when you're not looking for it. You allow it to, he said, just like happiness for sure. So doing the best of things in the toughest of times applies to the church in all of its history, and most especially at certain times. You might be able to say that today. In this congregation, I, I will hold a, a steady prayer for you as long as I'm here that you will not seek survival, but seek in what ways that God is calling you to in this present moment. What are the things that need to be done, the best of things in some of the toughest of times? Did you hear the text today? You are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses there were people going clear back to the 1950s that have provided for you everything you need and the gift of each other. And though you've gone through all kinds of speed bumps, I know all of the history, I know it all. I know the hard times and the, the, the better times by your definition. But here we are. And you have been entrusted not only with property, but opportunity to do some of the best of things in some of the toughest times for so many churches. And I will constantly pray for you as you put that all together. There's another sign of well-being, and that'll be my second last, and it is uh, a purpose in living. You know, the Harvard studies came on out, and they determined that half of a person's health is determined, 50% is determined on their outlook in life. You know, kind of the cup half empty, half full type of stuff. I found that to be profoundly true with people I have known. Uh, you got to have a purpose. I found that as I entered into retirement uh, several years ago. Uh, one must have a purpose. Uh, talk to Jim Meadows. He's right among you all the time. Incidentally, a very fine guy and a great minister and a great process worker, good guy. Now talk to him about what it means uh, to find purpose, even though we are under this retirement banner. We all need that. My dear wife, Shirley, that you do not know, after I retired for a couple of weeks and we were getting ready to move out to Arizona from Ohio, she said to me in the sweetest, sweetest voice, she said, you know, Dick, it's good to have you in retirement, and I think it would be good for you to leave the house at least eight hours a day. <laughs> you know, maybe she should have written it in a note or something, you know. I, I love you, and you know, I can't think of life without you. Something like that, you know, just really butter that sucker up. And then say, incidentally, might be a good idea for you to leave about eight hours a day. And she, she gently reminded me, she says, you know, Dick, we've been here 23 years at this church, and, and man, you leave in the morning, you come back sometimes very late at night. And all that. I did have a guy in the church by the name of John Hover. He's an attorney. And uh, he says, here's what I learned, Dick, in retirement. Here's what I learned. He says, when you retire, remember, it's her house. Okay? 
He said his father-in-law tried to come and rearrange everything. According to his new plans, it didn't work out too hot. The crisis of purpose follows many who don't reflect on that transition in life. You know already the Chinese word for disaster uh, that that is uh, both disaster and opportunity. Crisis to the Chinese means disaster and opportunity. Boy, I tell you, maybe some more of our churches who think they're such a disaster anymore need to remember that the opportunities that are right there in the middle of it. People retiring should remember that. Whatever your crises are, in all times in life, remember there's opportunity there also. I was a minister in San Diego for five years, and there was a, there was a woman who came to church often, and, and her husband never came. That's fine. And she said, hey, Dick, you know, you haven't met my husband. Uh, we're having a little champagne tonight to celebrate. He's, he's just now retired. He's been at this uh, company for, for 40 years. I said, well, great. She says, would you come on over? I said, oh, I'd be glad to. So I come on over there. Hi, his name is Bob. And, you know, and he said, oh, that's great. And he told me all about the work that he had and all. We just kind of had a little bit of a chat and, uh, along the way. And so uh, I went on home, and she called me at noon the next day and said, could you, could, I need to talk to you. I need your help. My husband uh, was found dead in his chair this morning. Now, I'm not going to make any interpretation around that, but it feels to me like that we need to construct that new chapter of meaning, and it is possible to do that. You remember that phrase where somebody said, all of us need uh, something to love or, or someone to love. Someone or something to love. Something to do and something to hope for. And it's always up to us to figure that out along the way. So I need, I need to quit now, but I'm going to leave you with three stories. Now I'll go quickly. Uh, the first is a story that came out of uh, uh, North Carolina where in some of the hills they, they got this huge snowstorm and they knew that people were on up there. Some people got out in time, but they knew that there were some people that were stranded there. And so these uh, helicopters are going around looking for one and finally they found this house and there's smoke coming from the chimney and, and, um, and finally they found a place to land and of course these proud Red Cross people came up and they knocked on the door and they said, hi ma'am. We're here from the Red Cross. She said, um, you know, it's been a pretty tough year, and I just don't think we're going to be able to give this year. (laughs) Story number two, there was a Southern Baptist church in Georgia, and there was a woman whose husband left her, and uh, she had three kids struggling along, and she gave a dollar a week to the church. A dollar. And the deacons decided that they wanted to help her in some way. And so they went to her home and said, You know, we know that things have been tough for you, and the church is going to help you and all. And I, we just want to let you know you don't have to give that, you don't have to give that dollar anymore. And she said, You have just taken away my last ounce of dignity. We all want to give. Give what we have. 
not what we don't have. Story number three comes from a man. It's a very interesting story that in the, um, it was uh, in the 1920s, he made a lot of money in the stock market. And you know what happened in 29. And so he made all of this money. And somebody came to him and said, uh, you know, there's need for a university in Africa. And uh, we'd like you to give some money to do that. And so he did. He established a, this, this wonderful university. And, um, and so they were all very glad to get the money and get the university, and it was going very, very well. And then they came up to a major anniversary. I think it was about 40 years after that. And they said, the man who started this needs to come here. And they couldn't find him. Well, he lost everything in 1929. And he was living on the south side of Chicago in a dilapidated place. They finally located him and said, they want you to come for the celebration. He said, I have no money. I can't go. And they said, well, somebody's going to pay your way. And so they brought him there to that university in South Africa. And he was sitting there with the president. And they honored him and thanked him. And along the way, he leaned over to the president and said, you know, it's what I kept that I lost. It's what I gave that I have on this very day. Church of the Beatitudes, uh, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that have ensured many good things for all of us to this very day. Here in worship, we honor that past and we embrace the future with the question, what does God want next from us? So remember the paradox of generosity. What we keep, we will lose. What we give is what we have, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.